Welcome to a pod called Quest. I'm Christian Davenport, a.k.a. Bitter Ninja Science. I'm with Derek Darby, a.k.a. Fearless Watcher Sage. In our pod, we utilize what we refer to as our Ptolemaic framework to evaluate the topic of the day. This means we evaluate three subjects, politics, economics, and social cultural factors across three domains, the diagnosis of the problem, the prognosis of where we're going to go, and the means to get from one to the other. For episode five, a pod called Quest takes a hard look at the role of agency review teams in Biden's transition to the White House. Now that the votes are in and he has won the election, it's time to build his governing infrastructure. He got nearly 79 million votes and counting. He campaigned on addressing racial inequity, the wealth gap, and the pandemic. Will citizens from communities disproportionately affected by racial injustice, economic inequality, and COVID-19 be drafted for these teams? Or will they sit on the sidelines cheering, hoping, and praying until the next election? Sage, what you got? Hey, what's up, Science? How you today? Yo, man, good. Snow is coming down. Beautiful. Hey, that's all good, man. We can hold up in the lab now and drop some drop some science out there on the quest for knowledge, man. <laughs> how that how that how that sound? That works for me, man. That works yeah. for me. Well, man, last time we got together to build, man, we had Georgia on our mind, man. And mm. so, you know. I guess some of the takeaways from from that conversation was uh, entertaining, lowering the the race first flag, looking to be a little bit more responsible, and trying to get over police and politics so that we could get at some core information. Mm-hmm. And some of the core information we got to last time, we dug deep into Du Bois's Georgia mm-hmm. essay and brought that to sort of bear on thinking about what at the time was the still undecided election. But since then, man, the election is over, uh, at least in the eyes of some people. And looks like uh, Joe Biden is going to be the next president. And so I guess the question now is, now what? And the news cycle has been occupied with news about uh, the transition. Biden's transition. I guess we got to ask transition to what, though? Mm -hmm. Are we going to have something different or are we going to have more of the same? Are we going to continue to have sort of top down approach to governance? Are we going to have non-representative governance or are we going to have something different? And I think one of the things I want to sort of drop on you, I mentioned this before, but just maybe it's worth sort of saying again, I got interviewed science about two weeks ago by a reporter from Bloomberg. I think it was a Bloomberg law reporter. And they wanted to know my thoughts on the transition uh, process, Mm. in particular, the agency review teams that were announced by Biden uh, recently, uh, not long ago. And so we had an interesting conversation about that. And I sort of spent some time, you know, discussing with the reporter, my thoughts about how that process worked and why it was important. And we spent a little time thinking about, uh, the substance of what those review teams were about and how they got staffed and paid a little bit of attention. So some of the, some of, some of the teams had to do with, uh, staffing the Justice Department, staffing mm-hmm. people who were going to look at how we were going to deal with the economic policy, how we we're going to deal with health, 
And so we looked at a couple of cases. But as I sort of talked to the reporter, I thought to myself, you know, hey, this election is over. And a lot of energy and attention went into the election and the importance of getting people to vote. And it occurred to me, science, that there's a big question here. Like, what do people actually think about democracy? It seems that most people think democracy at the end of the day is about going into the ballot box and casting your ballot for a good number of people. That only happens every four years during a presidential election. They don't really get out in midterm elections as much. Mm-hmm. But what do what do people think about democracy, man? What's the science tell us on that? So um, uh, you could imagine political science is uh, is is very much interested in the topic. In fact, there's um there's some interesting work that came out that talks about the history of political science being intricately connected with not only um, democracy and understanding what it is, but also kind of promoting it, which makes sense, right? So literally some of the first grants that were given to political science was about helping individuals, not only in America, but around the world, understand what democracy is. So basically kind of like getting people on this tip. But um, so there's a, there's, a big, there's a big project called the Varieties of Democracy Project. Um, uh-huh. um, a former colleague of mine at Notre Dame, Michael Coppage, was with it. Um, I have some problems with it, so I'm just like I'm not I'm not all praised for the thing. But one good thing that they do is they kind of lay out different conceptions of democracy because there's some interesting ones. But the one that we're kind of like most focusing on, most people, is it's what they call electoral democracy. And electoral democracy is really it's really about like the following. It's like, are there elections at all? Mm-hmm. Are they clean? Um who can be counted as like, you know, what's the criteria by which you could be a candidate? Mm-hmm. Um do you have enough freedom of association um, to basically to a- engage in interactions with people to then select somebody for an election? Um, do you have freedom of expression to basically kind of like give your opinions about the individuals? Um, what share of the population has suffrage? Mm-hmm. And then like literally each one of those things can get broken down, right? So there's um, are the elections free and fair? Oh, it's kind of funny too, because like um, uh, how America scores on these different parts, subcomponents of the of the of the index are going to be interesting, right? Is the election free and fair? Mm, good question. Uh, is there government intimidation? Mm, <laughs> yep. Um, election um, is there electoral violence? Mm, depending upon your definition of electoral violence, yes. Are there voting irregularities? Hell yes. Um, is there is there election vote buying? Mm, maybe I mean like maybe that deal with the post office guy that was like you know homeboy got paid off to kind of like you know hide some stuff. Uh-huh. Um, is there a voter registry? All these things kind of like kick in to get basically give us a general sense of of what's going on. But interestingly enough, I, I'd say that it's it's pretty fair. I, I, and, and frankly, I don't know that the question is asked in an open ended fashion, which is, you know, I, I kind of prefer that in many respects. It's like, so what do you, what do you think when you think of democracy would be mm-hmm. a fantastic question yep. or, and, and I'm, I'm sure elections would come to the, to the first part of it. And this becomes really problematic in many ways in the sense that that suggests that every two to four years you're pulled out for some activity, maybe local elections a, a little bit more frequently, but every now and then you're pulled out for kind of pulling a lever. And then after you've pulled your lever, it's kind of like, okay, you're done. Go back to being a citizen and we'll handle the governance from here, from here on. And it's funny too, because like, uh, I mean, funny, strange and funny, sad in many ways. Because um, Obama and Cory Bucker have made some similar comments too. It's like, well, what we need to do now is we need to elect the right people and then let them do their business. Mm. And I'm like, that's, that's the conception of democracy. And so that's kind of, that's kind of weak. I don't, I don't, I don't like that. 
Okay, so let's 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 think about this for a minute. So in, in terms of the transition process, uh, so Biden Harris uh, uh, launched a website. Uh, we, we'll provide the link. I'm sure uh, it's for our listeners, but it's 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 a uh, bill. It's Build Back Better. Uh, gov. And if you go to this site, they have basically a list of these agency review teams. And in the description, they say these agency review teams are responsible for understanding the operations of each agency, ensuring a smooth transfer of power uh, and preparing the president elect uh, and the vice president elect and their cabinet to hit the ground running on day one. Mm. OK, so now, you know, thankfully, you know, it appears that there's actually going to be a day one because the current president is seeming to have finally admitted that uh, uh, he's going to be leaving the White House. Uh, that's that's, of course, good news. Uh, mm. uh, now, with respect to these teams, there are different headings. So there's there's a, a team that deals with the arts and humanities. Uh, there's a team that deals with consumer financial protection. There's a council of economic advisors. And, 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 and in fact, on that point, there's a big headline in the New York Times today that is drawing attention to Biden's selection of a number of women to serve as key economic advisors, including Janet Yellen, who's going to be uh, his first choice for Treasury Secretary. Mm. There's a council on economic quality, on commerce. So basically, these are main sort of defense. Uh, uh, these are the main education. These are the main sort of functions of, of government. Now, if you take the sort of Obama-Booker line and say, look, let's just sort of get people in so that they could do their job. We want to get good people. And then everybody else can sort of go back to their lives. That is, of course, going to be problematic. And mm -hmm. so I guess I guess one question to raise then is, is there room for democracy, however we want to think about that, in this transition to power? So, for example, with respect to these agency review teams, right, can how these teams get staffed? And uh, or maybe even vetted. I don't know. Maybe that's too much to ask, but certainly how they get staffed be incorporated into a fuller, more active conception of democracy. What do you mm. think about what do you think about that? If we try to expand it out this way. So it's not just showing up at the ballot two, four years, but it's yeah. now how do we stay engaged in governance? Yeah, this guy, um, William Gabson's got this book um, about kind of like social protest and strategies mm. of social protest. And he makes this argument, basically. He's kind of like, mm. okay, so there's different ways that you can win from the perspective of engaging in kind of like social movement activities. And one way is to be acknowledged by those in power. Be like, okay, we hear you. We'll handle it. Mm -hmm. Which sounds like a version of the kind of electoral element. A different conception is you get a seat at the table. Mm. Mm. And so this... Seems like it's a version of the seat of the table, right? And and I can't I can't help but think about um, President Trump's conception of just like you know, hey, look, I know good people, and I'll bring them in. Mm -hmm. And so this seems to be a version of that, right? And and what's interesting is like when you look at the when you look at the transition review team stuff, it's like they give you their name, then they give their most recent job, 
and of course, of course, the source of funding bit is a little bit, uh, you know, that's a, that's a little bit funny. But um, it then gets you a sense of kind of like, okay, so who's at the table, right? And so that becomes for me really interesting because this is a moment where you could have an incredible representation of society. And so rarely do you see people who are in there that are like, you know, public school teacher. Like, you know, it's probably not going to happen, right? And so there's going to be some... I think I think what this signals to to folks is the immediate kind of truncation of okay, there's a whole subset of society that's going to get no light. They're not going to have anybody at the table that comes from their lived experience per se, because most of these folks are coming from a think tank or a major corporation or some other major institution. And so I think it has the, the, this kind of staffing dynamic has the potential for revealing a, a, a tremendous openness of particip participation, getting back to kind of Du Bois's conception of everybody's got something to offer. But I think it immediately kind of truncates it because there seems to be some unstated threshold under which government will not go for. Mm. So that you raised this, I mean, that you went, that you went to this, this point about the, the makeup of the review teams, uh, takes me back to the conversation that I had with the Bloomberg reporter, because mm. uh, this is essentially what we did during the course of our uh, uh, hour long or so interview. So the reporter was interested in in two of these review teams in particular. One of one of them was the Department of Justice review team. So what I did science is effectively what you just said. I said, well, let me let me sort of review the list of people. Mm. And as you said, what we had is we have a list of names, their most recent em employment, and then in almost all cases, a statement that they're volunteers. So they're not being paid for their services. They're just sort of volunteering to help with the transition. And so I was struck by the mix of uh, the mixture of the makeup. And in, it's certainly in the case of the Department of Justice uh, team. And, and just you know, just so people know, what's the Department of Justice team helping with? Well, mm. Biden and Harris need some review of the Federal Election Commission, <laughs> uh, the U.S. Election Assistance Commission, the Commission on Civil Rights, a big one, obviously, the National Council on Disability, the U.S. Access Board, State Justice Institute and Legal Services Corporations, among among a few others. And so here's a team of people who are focused on these particular parts of the Department of Justice and its operation. And they're going to be weighing in on sort of the current state of play in the Department of Justice and perhaps adding some thought about what the needs are and what the staffing should be to uh, uh, address the needs and also the desires of, of the president. Now, when you look at the team, it's interesting because it's a makeup of like of elite folks, essentially. <laughs> you got like academics, you got some corporate types and so forth. So when I talked to the reporter, one thing that they wanted to sort of highlight in their story was how diverse are these review teams? <laughs> and you and science, you are, I already know how you feel about this. When people talk about diversity, they typically are thinking about it in very symbolic ways, right? Do we do we got black yeah. and do we have black and brown faces at the table? That's like the yeah. 
the way people are thinking about diversity. Yeah. So it was it was clear to me from the conversation that the reporter had that sort of conception of diversity. So I said, let me let me sort of have a little, you know, I didn't want to say have a little fun, but let me just dig a little deeper is what I really wanted to do. And I said, well, look, let's think about this. So what I did was one of the names on the on the review team is, is a, uh, a woman. Uh, her name is Shirleith, Shirleithia Franklin. And she she's at uh, uh, one of the one of the most uh, uh, well-known and significant law firms in the world, uh, Jones Jones Day. And so I looked up uh, Miss Franklin and she's a very distinguished litigator, uh, a form, former senior official at the Department of Justice. And basically what she does for Jones Day, a big corporate law firm, is she 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 litigates complex civil cases and handles disputes that involve the federal government. Mm. Now, as you know, science, big law firms typically represent like corporations. Yep. So if corporations get hit with a product liability lawsuit, a consumer used their product, something went wrong, they got hurt. Or if there's something that has to do with uh, 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 some sort of toxic spill or some other kind of corporate malfeasance, they call the big hitting law firms like Jones Day to come in and represent them so that, you know, they don't get killed in, in you know, in court. So Ms. Franklin is a lawyer. She's litigated some of these big cases. I noted when I looked at her profile that she was part of the settlement that had to do with the Deepwater Horizon oil spill. You remember that one? I do. Jones Day sort of got pulled in on that. So on the one hand, here you have a black woman, very distinguished corporate lawyer who's working to, in some cases, defend corporations. But on the other hand, it was a, there was another part of her vita that was interesting. Um, in Charlottesville, uh, you remember where there was, you know, there was a movement to take down some of the Confederate monuments. Yep. Well, apparently some of Charlottesville city councilors got sued for the part that they played in um, voting to relocate Robert E. Lee's and Thomas Jackson statues from the center of the town square in Charlottesville. <laughs> now, Jones Day, Ms. Franklin was called in to represent these city councilors. So I was like, okay, well, that's good. That's good news, right? It's sort of using the power of the big corporation to come in and defend some people for carrying out the will of the people and trying to sort of relocate these monuments. Mm -hmm. So what I said to the reporters, I said, look, you got this interesting case now. You got some measure of diversity. You got a black black person who also is a woman. But then you have her representing big corporations. How do we make sense of that? If these teams are essentially staffed by elites, academics, corporate types, corporate types, where's Pookie at? Why yeah. do he do he have do Pookie have a seat? On any of the review teams, and and if not, what does that say about things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speak, speak to me, science. I mean, this is a this is a huge. It speaks it speaks to several things that we kind of talk about quite frequently, right? So it's kind of like the unidimensionality mm -hmm. of kind of like identity politics. It's mm -hmm. just like so inner. So so for many people, um, identity politics refers to a bunch of different identities that you can have. And and the, the the brilliance of the intervention initially was just like you know okay you know sometimes sometimes I'm academic 
Sometimes I'm a brother from New York. Sometimes I'm a brother that studies social movements. Sometimes I'm an academic that quantitatively evaluates human rights violations. Sometimes I'm from America. I mean, these are different identities that kick, that kick in at different time periods and the salience of that particular identity steps in. But quite frequently, when we talk about diversity, it's, it's just like, oh, okay, we're talking about, oh, they're black or they're a woman or they're a black woman. Mm. And we're ignoring what they think. We're ignoring what they do. Mm. We're ignoring other aspects of what would make up this complex being. Mm. And this becomes problematic because if you're just like, oh, we've like so Rwanda after the after after the genocide and civil war. Mm. They had one of the largest percentages of women in government anywhere. Mm. And this was touted as like amazing diversity for the Rwandan government. What we missed was that Kagame was still behind all of them and ran all of them, that mostly that they were in there because the, a lot of the men were basically um, either killed off or scared of po political engagement. And so we go from this kind of like this could have been a positive thing to something that is actually kind of um, really, really a, a negative manifestation of power concentration. And so this complexity we have between talking about identity characteristics, but leaving off some things is like, so we miss the class orientation that unifies all of these people in this particular kind of like committee setting, right? So just like, where are the poor people? I mean, like literally some poor people in the room. And so they're not in the room. Someone's going to be speaking for poor people most likely. And so it's just like, where are the people that have like, you know, not have any understanding of government, but they understand their topic. I mean, it's like, it's, it's really a truncated conception we have of diversity if all we can look at is, okay, well, um, there's there's half women, there's a fourth that are blacks. Okay, um, how many how many are millionaires? How many are in the one percent? It's like a hundred percent are in from the one percent. I mean, like you know, if they said something like that, then you know, the, the, their sense of diversity would be gone. But we definitely need to get to this more, you know, respectful and fuller conception of diversity, so that we don't end up replicating the same problems because we get the same people in the room mm, mm. so 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 science that speaks to our question are we going to get something different or are we going to get more of the same and so part of what we're getting at here is if the if the review teams are essentially more of the same then this is this is giving us some reason to worry that we're going to get more of the same so just just to take two 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 points like we're talking about a review team for the department of justice Right. So where on that review team are formerly incarcerated persons? I know. Where yeah. on that review team is Ahmaud Arbery's mother? Right. Yeah. Or Sandra Bland's mother. Right. Or Breonna Taylor's mother. Right. Where are the people who have firsthand experience with that part of the criminal justice system on the review team? If we're yeah. talking about the Federal Elections Commission. Where's the next Fannie Lou Hamer? Yeah. Right. Is she is she on that committee? Right. Where are the people who spend time organizing in Latino communities to get them to register to vote? Right. And so this seems to be the kind of diversity that we don't get a chance to tap. If, yeah. as you say, science, we're still stuck on. Is it black? Is it brown or is it a woman? Yeah. Speak to me. No, nah, I mean, this is incredibly frustrating. Right? So, so um, 
this is this is partly kind of part of another conversation, but but it's relevant now. So we we, we talked about kind of like the, the what this Biden moment means, right? And just like, okay, is he the person that's going to just carry water for black folk, or is he going to try to do something that will uh, that will instill his historical legacy of being X or Y? Mm-hmm. And and you know, strangely, I was like, I was I was like, okay, you know what? Biden is got an opportunity here. That's like his Earl Warren moment or, or Truman ratting out the, um, the military industrial complex. He's got a moment because it's just like, okay, not many people can expect much to happen, especially if the house and Senate are kind of against. And so it's like, okay, what can he try to pull off? And one of the things we talked about was like, he might be able to pull off this awakening of information, just like, let's just generate all types of amazing insights and information that could tie the hands of Harris or whoever follows him that could lead the way. And like, okay, you might not get any legislation. It might not have dramatic transformations, but you could develop this knowledge base. And so I was incredibly optimistic thinking about like who he could pull off. And like, you know, he's got a, he's got somebody I know, Lisa Cook, who does phenomenal work on inequality. That's part of this transition team. But simultaneously, he's got people like Christina Rose, who's like associated with this healing justice project. And she's been in like department of justice and so forth for like 20 years, basically been there already is associated with the lack of progression and changes being taking place. And so the placements of some of these folks in there just make you kind of go, uh, all right, we might be missing another moment to actually get different types of information. And that's the thing that kind of is, is scary for me because you have people who speak for other people, but then their connection to the lived experience of those individuals or kind of, that's why I kind of like AOC, right? It's just like, you know, she's, she's been there. And she's speaking. And that combination, I think, is powerful. But she also gives light every now and then to someone who still is in the community. That's still that's the that's the that's the pulse that they are most adept to kind of like tapping. And so there's a degree of information that emerges from that. And not always are we having individuals that are speaking for other people in there. And that's that's where the representative part of democracy becomes problematic. Right. We step away from direct democracy, a different manifestation of democracy, a different conception of it, which involves deliberative democracy in communities and all this other business. The minute we get to representative democracy, then we get to some of this stuff about people talking for other people. And that's really problematic, especially if they're the same type of people. Good. Well, look, that's, that's, this is a good point. This touches on some, some big, heavy questions in, in political philosophy and political theory. Sage out, sage out. Yeah, 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 about the nature of democracy. And so on this point you just made, look, one way to sort of deal with representative democracy, acknowledging its limits, is to have serious mechanism science for holding those representatives accountable. Now, what I hear you saying by way of like a critique of the constitution of these teams insofar as they don't have a, 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 a deep, a deeply diverse makeup, right? I mean, you, yeah, you got, you got women, you, you, you got, you got black folk, you got some brown folk, but, but do you have people who have experienced being incarcerated on the justice team or people mm-hmm. who have lost a child to police violence, right? That's an, that's yet another form of diversity, which is mm-hmm. altogether missing. But one way to sort of, maybe address some of the concerns about representative democracy when you have people representing you is to have a serious mechanism of accountability. Now, in this case, what do they need to be accountable for? And I think what I hear you saying, science, is that they need to be accountable for getting the information 
that's necessary for governance that seeks more justice mm-hmm. or, or more equality or more fairness. Yeah. Hold them accountable for producing the information. Now, this also science, I think, gives us a chance to speak again to the power of the Ptolemy battery that we're developing. Mm-hmm. Now, where do we want this information from? We're not saying that hearing from the black woman corporate lawyer is not important, but we already know what they have to say because those <laughs> have been the people that have been at the table all this time. Exactly. And they're the first people tapped when we make these transitions. We know their story. What do the other people have to say? Where's right. their voice being heard in all of this? What are the voices saying from within the veil, deep within the veil? Mm-hmm. So science can we sort of address this worry that you just raised if we have serious mechanisms of accountability that hold our representatives accountable for gathering the information that they need to do a better job at governing for justice? Come on. That's um, that's that's a that's a major pivot. Right. So I, I think I think. Um, so you remember these uh, schoolhouse rock? Um, videos. Yeah, we grew up on them joints. We grew I'm up on those. I'm, I'm yes, only a bill. Exactly. I'm on me, I mean, and my, like, me, me and my fam. I'm mad, man. We grew up on that stuff. I'm just a bill. I'm only a bill. That's what exactly. we got. Our, that's what we got. Our civics education. I mean, and this is this is partly where the difficulty is, right? So, what are we mm. trained to mm. do as Americans in terms mm. of our civic responsibility and engagement? Mm. It's basically geared towards. Pull a lever so some elite can basically handle it from there on. Mm. We're not we're not told about referendum. We're not told about petitions. Mm. We're not told about lawsuits because that's usually beyond most of us in many respects, unless you can get someone to do a pro bono or handle it for you. Mm. I mean, we, we're not told about protests or my my new favorite book in defense of looting. We're not mm. we're not we're not told about rioting or looting. We're not given the full panoply of activities that you can engage in as a citizen mm. of a particular nation state. And so that the pivot to make people accountable for that type of thing, like generation of information is really different, right? Because mm. um, that suggests that that suggests that you don't know something and that you need to go out to the people and get their opinions mm. about different topics. What should we be focused on? How should we, how should we address it? What do you think? What are you willing to give up in order to get this or that? I mean, we, we need to have this information to figure out where we go, but generally how it goes is like, okay, so here's a constellation of problems that they say we should care about. Here's a constellation of solutions that they say we should do. And you pull the lever for which combination you like, and then they're off and running and we'll come back to you in a couple of years. Mm. Very different concession, concession, um, conceptions of citizenship and engagement, right? But I'm just like, the piece I wrote with uh, Sarah about a movement of movements was like, the election is the starting point not the end. Mm. The election is the starting point for our engagement. We need to be on everybody. We need to be on identifying new topics. If somebody is on topic and they're engaging in something to move in the direction, we need to be on them to make sure that that never deviates. And the minute it deviates, back to the street. The minute the minute someone does something that they shouldn't be doing, lawsuit. The minute someone does something that they need to be nudged on, back in the street. And mm. so, I mean, what, what we're suggesting, and I think kind of you and I are there as well, what, what we need is we need to have the citizenry largely on point repeatedly, all the time, 
never stepping down. And unfortunately, this is like, you know, it's like, who's got time for that? You know, we're trying to pay the rent. You know, it's like James Brown, right? He's like, I, I ain't nothing going on but the rent. And in many respects, you know what? I think that's a cultivated position. Because the citizenry could be cultivated to be more politically astute. The citizenry could be cultivated to be more aware. We could have some more of these schoolhouse rock things on like, you know, every aspect of political engagement. But we don't. So I, I think we've been put in a particular place as citizens in the United States to be depoliticized. They don't want us engaged. They don't want us holding them accountable. They don't want us understanding the different mechanisms of control. All of that. Hey, man, now this sounds like conspiracy theory to some of us, man. What you, who's they, bro? Who's they, bro? Hold up now. You know I don't go in for none of that conspiracy theory stuff, man. Who you talking about? Who's they, man? Okay. Real, I mean, who, who's they? Fundamentally, look at look at the last election. You, right. you, you, got, you got clear indications that a political party mm. and all of their affiliates had no interest in people participating in the political system. Mm-hmm. They were trying to systematically discount mm. individuals. They didn't want you participating. They didn't want to count your vote, even if it was counted. They're trying to discourage you from registering. They're trying to discourage you from going out. They're trying to discourage you from getting information. They're trying to confuse your ability to get information. And so that's not conspiracy theory. We we have actual evidence that we saw people existing in this time period right now. When you talk about some ancient stuff, this is a period right now who are trying to discourage people from participating in the political process and and doing all they could. Okay, but look, okay, if we go down that road, then what about this road? Okay, so you could say today is the evil Republican Party, right? Now, now we already know Trump got 70 million votes. I mean, I, I, I'm sure he's not disputing any of them votes, right? He's not disputing any of the 70 million, so, or plus, whatever it is. Um, but what if you go down this road? I mean, I want to see how far you want to press this day. I think you can't just say it's they, the evil Republican Party, because look at, the, look at the conversation we just had. We're yeah. talking about agency review teams that have been set up by what we hope is a more benevolent <laughs> incoming administration exactly. that, that's got out that has got our best interests at heart. We're hoping we're believing. I mean, Obama co-signed for him. So he's got to be yeah. good for us black folk, for sure. Yeah. 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 But look, we just looked at we got this elite team of academics and corporate types on these really important review teams, and we don't have Pookie, we don't have Amon Arbery's mother, we don't have Sandra, Sandra, Sandra Bland's people on here, we don't have, um, um, you know, Abu Jamal, we don't have any of these other people on this sort of review team, yeah. right? So is this part of a conspiracy to pacify us so that we just show up in another two or four years and leave it to these good elite folk to take care of our business. Are they part of the day too? That's the question for you. I say yes. I mean, and so, you know, um, a conspiracy is a secret plan by a group to do something unlawful, right? But I'm just like, um, so I think we get carried away with the concept of conspiracy. So if a boardroom comes together to discuss how they could um, take more of the market by engaging in some unlawful practice, is that conspiracy? I'm like, yes. Okay, so we have, we have evidence of conspiracies all the time. There's a picture of um, the guy from Google meeting the guy from Microsoft, right? You know, having ha- while a lawsuit was going on about some antitrust thing. I mean, so we know these things happen. And, and so I think that the I think that they is class oriented, and I think that's fair. But this is an old discussion. Um, there was the research in the, of the power elite in the 50s and 60s where people were just kind of like, who's making who's making the rules 
who's who's leading, who's governing. And these were these were large areas of research within social science. And like, you know, basically they kind of get they got to some answers and then they kind of moved on, <laughs> which is kind of scary. But at the same time, it was incredibly insightful. This is the the four phases of power or the four faces of power debate. I mean, and so there's a huge long tradition within the social sciences and I'm sure philosophy regarding I'm um, exactly leadership and governance and control and power. The problem is mm. that much of this power obfuscates or, or, or navigates around mm. these issues of democracy. I mean, so so that we have a such a superficial, low-level conception of diversity as we get to representation within these review committees is fascinating. Mm. Because if, if you just went by class, in all likelihood, they're probably all of the same class and that would that would that would then eliminate the conception that we have diversity but as long as diversity is this one little kind of like it's just gender and it's just race and ethnicity then okay hey look we're diverse but then we miss the whole thing about well what do these people think and if they all think more or less the same thing then we're not seeing that diversity and this is this is i think part of the this is we're part of that problem, right? Because we're yeah. we're not have we need to have these conversations about like okay, well, on what ways are the diverse? I'm just like, where's the anarchist on the Department of Justice Review Committee? Oh, I mean, forget that. That's not going to happen. Where's the socialist? I'm just like, and if we want to have diversity, if we want to have true diversity, and, right. and try to get a sense of kind of like, okay, what are the different ways that we can address the problems that we have that the Department of Justice would uh, would would be focusing in on? I'm like, why wouldn't we have? The, the most diverse group at the table so we can get different ideas to figure out how best to structure things. And that's just like never going to happen. Mm. Oh man, you, you, you hitting us, you hitting us with a lot. Um, I do think, I mean, I mean, I don't, you might, you might sort of let some of our listeners know that we're trying to sort of deal with this in part with our Ptolemy battery, right? Yeah. And, and one of the findings that I know we reported on a couple of episodes ago was people feeling like the people who we put in office are not really the people running the show. Exactly. I mean, isn't that finding relevant to what we're talking about right now? Precisely. Because, I mean, the folks that we got from a from a from a survey, mm. from a nationally representative survey, mm -hmm. the people that we got responding were just kind of like effectively this paraphrasing. Um, there's people that are in political office, mm -hmm. but these aren't the people that are running things within the United States. Mm -hmm. That's that's incredibly powerful because then you're just like, OK, well, first off, who's running stuff? And second, what influence do they have on the people that we've just voted for? Mm -hmm. And then kind of spheres of justice, Michael Walzer type thing. Does, does, does the one sphere of influence that is the economic warp or influence the political? And I think most people would be like, uh, yes. But what do we do about it is then the next question, which is then the interesting point. And the review teams reveal this intricate connection between those with economic power and those in political power. Mm -hmm. But then they mixed it up by kind of adding some black and Latinos and some and some women in there. But this this for me was always problematic, right? Because people were jumping around going, the demographic change is coming to America. Look, there's more Hispanics and things are going to be great. They're going to be different. I'm just like, but what do Hispanics think? And that led back to the, that's why the election was so interesting, right? It's like, oh, Hispanics aren't monolithic. Oh, so maybe this demographic shift isn't going to be the greatest thing for black people. Mm, ooh, that sounds like another episode, man. Yeah, should black, yeah. I'm should, like, I'm like, should, should, black, should black folk be more like Latino folk? Uh-oh, yes. that sounds sound like a future joint we got to drop. Oh, yes. That, that, oh, yes. that don't get you in trouble, bro. So yeah, look, well, you know so, what is it? What is it? So, right? yeah. so look, so I guess that sums up the answer to this this line of this line of line of questioning. Then basically, 
So who who is the day? Well, you just go back to your Wu Tang day. Cash rules everything around mm. me. Dollar dollar mm. bill, y'all. Yeah, the day is the people that's got the money that's running the money. Yeah, and and and. They they run the Democrats and they run the Republicans, but they all got to run in the direction of making sure the money keep coming. Exactly. I mean, that's one way that maybe the folks down the block might put it, just to sort of be blunt. Exactly. Um, I mean, we, we I mean we PhD types, we shouldn't really put it like that. We got to put it in a more sort of scholarly, <laughs> dressed up kind of way. But you that's know, what it I, I just got my I just got my down the block hat on right now, so that's why I could put it that way. But if I was writing a scholarly treatise, I I do it differently. I'm sure. Yeah. So, so look, man, you mentioned the work that you did um, uh, with Sarah Soul, I think it was, on the movement of movements. Yeah. And so let, let me let you hit that for one minute again for us, because what I see here is then if we need to make sure our representatives are being held accountable, since we do have representative government, this is what we're working with. Uh, one of the things we want is we want them to sort of get the information they need to govern more more justly or more governing ways that more broadly take into account the interests of a wider cross-section of the demos, then perhaps one role that the movement of movements can play, and you can tell us more about you know, that, that phrase, the movement of movements, is to, for example, apply itself to this question of the transition of power mm. and making sure there's, there's appropriate representation in the deep sense on these transition teams like don't sit out just because we had election day stay engaged whether it's on social media writing letters or marching raising hell of some sort to make sure the teams are properly representative don't just assume we got a benevolent democrat coming in that's going to do the right thing by us exactly. when a, say something about that can 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 the movement of movements Give us the sort of bottom up pressure that we seem to need to make sure representative government represents, so to speak. Mm, mm. Now, when I say represent, you know, I think about Nas, but that's just because I'm from Queensbridge. Represent, represent. I just that, that pops into my head. But let's let's talk about represent, represent by putting pressure on from the bottom up. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, like, so. um some interesting kind of like, mm. I think the thing we're pushing against was, was kind of articulating a model. And I think it was, it's either Obama or Bayard Rustin. I can't even remember who basically was saying at this point, but it's just like, um, they think that the, the role for protest and civil disobedience is to basically mm. get someone to pay attention and then they enact specific laws and institutional practices. And they think that is democracy. And then Sarah and I go on, and this is, this is from our piece. Um, the approach we advocate differs from this sentiment. Our approach holds that it is not prudent to let people go behind closed doors and get the serious business of governance without expanding the number of participants at the table and getting rid of the idea that only what takes place at the table is worth doing. Mm. We did this already and it did not turn out well. We need a new way. Our path to this conclusion begins with a reflection on the recent sequence of events in the United States and some reflection on the history of social movements in the U.S. as well as abroad. The recent wave of protests started simple enough. In the wake of three horrific deaths at the hands of police, again, African-Americans protested again. The police responded aggressively again. And then something different happened. Other folks protested. Interestingly and somewhat bafflingly, the police generally continued to respond aggressively, but there was also some solidarity efforts, a knee here, a hug there. Then other countries protested. 
But this speaks to this larger issue of what we need to do is not let politicians and lawyers take it from here. Mm. Didn't African-Americans and their allies who stood up against state-sponsored violence win? Isn't change a coming? Shouldn't folks just go home now and let the policy and lawmakers get to work? Mm. Hell no. Mm. We need a movement of movements approach, mm. which acknowledges the need for multiple institutions and people to be involved all the time. Mm. It is clear that politicians, lawyers, and public policy experts and social scientists will need to draft and propose legislation. Our approach acknowledges the need for lawyers to prosecute deviations from whatever laws are established, and it acknowledges the need for journalists to investigate and report on all aspects of the problem. But this is where a movements of movements approach diverges from the post-American civil rights movement approach. We need all people on deck. We need teachers to be involved to teach about police violence and how to challenge it. Parents will need to be helping their children learn and grow to be anti-racist, whatever that means. Lobbyists will need to be lobby. Artists will be needed to procreate relevant art. Mm. Doctors and health workers are needed. Elders are needed. Foundations are needed to fund stuff that actually needs to get done. To, but to figure out what we need, we need graphic designers. It's just like, yo, we need a real Peace Corps. Mm. And all hands on deck. Mm. All hands on deck. The movement of movements. I like I like this science. I like this, man. I, so I think I think we, we end up then with uh, with some substance uh, regarding what a fuller or more robust conception of the role of citizens in a truly democratic society might look like. And what we're thinking about here reminds me of things that. Martin Luther King, I know, said uh, the, the forgotten Ralph Bunch said mm -hmm. Fannie Lou Hamer and many others. And basically, when you look at the political writings uh, and also the story of the lives of these folks and how they lived their lives, they gave us the sort of view that democracy is a full time job. Mm. It's, it's, it's work. It's, it's a job and it's like one of the jobs we got to have in addition to whatever other job we have to put put bread on the table. Right. And and so for for King and Bunch, I know they talked about and Du Bois talked about this as well. Why it was important not just to show up every four years to vote. Right. Mm. But to show up for the midterm elections, to show up for the school board vote, to show up to deal with the local ordinances in your community, right? So on one level, the full-time job is, you know, you got to keep voting in all the relevant elections. But another way to make the point is, no, you got to also join the movement of movements exactly. and deal with the stuff that don't have nothing to do with voting, but it has to do with overseeing governance by yeah. representatives. And that's kind of what we've been kind of getting at. And just to sort of tie this point together, right? And the point is really a point about holding our elected and informal representatives accountable for representing us and not just on election day. To tie this point together, I want to paraphrase AOC. And this is something that she said um, in trying to inspire folks to be engaged in a more ro robust way democratically. Just, just hit, roughly, she says, if we are only organizing for elections, we're not going to win the world we need, science, mm. because no one politician is the answer. Mm. 
Obama's not the answer. Biden's not the answer. Trump's not the answer. Harris is not going to be the answer. No one president is the answer. The people are the answer. Mm. You the answer, science. Pookie the answer, right? Mass movements are the answer. Millions of people are the answer. Speak to me, science. That's that's phenomenal. I mean, but it speaks to this. It speaks to this whole issue, right? Because the, the priorities of a nation could be revealed mm. by how people are socialized and educated. Mm. And I think we're socialized to this representative democracy mm. deference citizen model, where it's just like mm. pull a lever, pull a lever, and then and then we'll take over now. You all can just sit back and 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 don't worry about it. We we we've got your best interests at heart. And this is why democracies are generally associated democratic. Um, uh, government leader, leaders are, are generally associated with lower protest activities because people are just like, well, they'll, they'll take care of it for us. Mm. And essentially, we need to get to that point where it's just like, um, no, we're not really following deference any longer, and we mm. need to be we need to be engi- engaged in all aspects of it. I mean, think of this. Think of this as mm. being like the, um, let me sage for a second. It's like, think of this as being like the opposite of Eric Fromm's conception of um, escape from freedom. Mm. He argues like, he's like, democracy is hard. He's like, democracy is difficult. This is why people have dictators. Mm. They mm. make things easy for you. It's like, mm. and so, that, so, that, so thus we end up giving more power to the executive. We end up giving more deference. We end up paying attention less to politics. Mm. But we, we've been cultivated this way. We've been cultivated to not understand the nuances of different party platforms or how elections could be held or what, what, what should take place during a debate. All these things have we been kind of cultivated to, but I mean, think, think of this whole thing of transition teams, right? It's just like, okay, so we've got these federal transition teams on these different topics. Yeah. How come we don't have parallel transition teams? Like the citizenry is kind of like, okay, remember back mm. in the day in the 60s, you'd be like, mm. okay, so you're going to have your court, you're going to have your court case to investigate the FBI and Hoover, and we're going to mm. have our own. Mm. We're going to have citizen, we're going to have citizen transition teams, where mm. we're basically going to be working out what we want for health and human services, or what we want for the Department of Justice, or mm. what we want for Homeland Security. And then mm. we can see exactly what you come up with and what we come up with and see if that's the same. Mm. Mm. Citizen, citizen. Review teams for the transition. That's a heavy thought, man. Mm. I'm like, you know, a brother, not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not ready to be different anymore. I'm you know, like, just like, you know, we, we, we tried that and look what happened. We had decades of the same kind of policies and problems. And I'm well, just like, this, yeah. this, this is not going to make you feel any better. I mean, I don't think my job today was to make you feel better, <laughs> but, but, but this is certainly not going to make you feel any better. But also this concerned me too. I saw this headline in today's New York times. Uh, what's today, man? Today, today is uh, November Monday, November thirtieth. Mm. Hey, man, the New York Times editorial board. I didn't read it, but here's the here's the here's the headline: Republicans and Democrats need to work together. <laughs> Earmarks can help. Now, when I read that, I was like, "Here we go. The fix is about to be on." Mm-hmm. I thought to myself, "Why the hell is it?" When Democrats about to take the reins of power, people start talking about working together. Yeah, yeah. But when the Republicans got power, we ain't we not seeing that same call mm. to work together. Damn. What what the hell is that about? And so if if that's the fix, 
then it really does lower our expectation science about what we can get and raises the level of urgency on the need for the movement of movements to push this stuff yeah. it, so that they can be properly responsive. Exactly. I mean, and we know that the other political candidate mm. is not going to be walking away. Hell no. And, and that many of the people that are associated with him will be engaging in movements. Mm. And they had, and there was a vision, right? That part of this art- articulated vision in the eighties was yeah. we need, we need the people that think like us yes. on the right to be yes. in court. Yes. And then they started seeding courts with mm. different people yes. that articulated their conception of what was happening. And the other side, the so-called middle or left, what it is, did not really have a comparable vision about what's needed to pull off mm. the everyday aspects of, of recreating the world in your image. Because on the other side, they were just like, you know what? Who makes decisions on a day-to-day basis about whether or not our version of reality will be created or not? It'd be like, judges. Mm. And like, mm. so so what do you, ergo, what do you do? You get judges that see like your, your way do. It's like, mm. oh, okay, who else does this? Okay, journalists. Okay, let's, let's create our own. And so effectively, we need to think through the particularity. We need to have, back to Ptolemy, we need to have the conception of, of what that world looks like at the end. And then we need to think through how we can get there and who gets us there. All right. So we're talking about the end game now, science. So look, here, here's, here's, a, here's a picture of an end game. I just want to mess with you, man. Oh. Yo, yo, here's the end game for you, man. What you think about this? I know I'm going to get in trouble by saying this, but I ain't going to get in trouble. Actually, some people are going to wonder where it's coming from, but they, they should really understand where it's coming from if they listen to, to the episode. Here's an end game for you. I'm going to give you some monuments with some black folk on it. I'm going to tear down some old monuments. I'm going to put some black faces where there used to be white ones. I'm going to give you some anti-racist training science. I'm going to teach you how to be an anti-racist. I'm even going to give you some kids books on anti-racist training and some coloring books. Mm. And I know, and science, I know how much you like graphic, graphic novels. I'm going to give you a graphic novel anti-racist training kit that includes some coloring books, some comic books, some CDs. Hell, I even throw in a VHS in there for you if you want to go old school on it. But I ain't going to give you no seat at the table. Right, I'm gonna, give, I'm gonna give you some monuments. I'm gonna give you some anti-racist training. Make you feel real good, but you ain't gonna be on this agency, this this transition review team. You're not gonna have no voice in that. I mean, this is something, science. I mean, we got some monuments. We got some anti-racist training. We got some some black books. We supporting the black bookstores in California and other places. I mean, should we just like take some of this action while we could get it? Because you know, this is this can't get much in America, man. So this is something we could get. Should we take some of this, man, or should we should we should we hold out for the long game, man? And, and, and before you answer that question, now, poor people, man, they, the long game is harder on on people that are struggling. Science, I mean, you know, we part of the elite, man. We could we could play the long game; it don't hurt as much. So. Um, should we just take these things, man, or, or, or do we do we really want to insist on the seat? I'm just wondering, man, what you think about this? Hell no. 
And I'm not sure when uh, we talk about Maslow quite frequently. I'm not sure when Abraham Maslow came out with this hierarchy of needs, but I find this to be incredibly useful for evaluating proposals such as that. Because on the bottom of the hierarchy, that is the things that are required, we have the physiological, breathing, food, water, sleep. And next category is safety, security of body, employment, resources, morality, family, health, property. And I'm like, unless those things are handled, then everything else is irrelevant. And so not getting a seat at the table when we have some safety and some physiological kind of like needs that are in necessity, the stuff like monuments and the stuff like even self-esteem and creativity, which are higher order needs near self-actualization and esteem, but not based upon safety and these other more basic needs, I think is superficial. And, and we don't get to get to the long game because we'll not be around on the planet. Monuments don't provide food, they don't provide water, they don't provide work. What about self-esteem, man? That got to count for something. It does, but after you have food and a place to live and some work. I don't think you could slide into food from self-esteem. Mm. Mm. We got to pay the rent, we got to eat. I, I would think so. I think you need that before you get to the other one. Yeah, but what about though? Maybe maybe going after the monuments is the thing that mobilizes us. That's the thing that gets us off the couch, that gets us out of our daily grind and ritual and routine to actually be part of that movement of movements, man. Maybe that's See, the trigger. I mean, people not going to organize, man, on no food strike or nothing like that. They're not doing that. You already know that. They come out though, man, to tear some shit down. I think this is where the conversation about Du Bois and then Brother mm. Errol Henderson's book, I think that that's where it can, can culture lead us to the revolution. Mm. I think that's, that's, mm. that's definitely, that's definitely something for, for later. But I do think that this discussion of priorities as it relates to mobilization strategies, as it relates to what categories of Maslow's hierarchy end up being addressed is definitely worth the conversation. Cool. Yeah, that sound like a that sound like another future episode, man, for us to get on. So, uh, so what I hear you saying is, nah, we're gonna take that seat. Forget that. Then you know, once we get the seat, you know, what we're gonna do. We're gonna want some reparations and other shit we got coming. <laughs> so, and that's and that's why typically people don't want to give up them seats, right? Because exactly. they don't want to hear what it is we really want. So, uh, well, man, I, I think that that does it, man. I think I think that does it, man. Take a take us home, man. Yo, that works for me. We out. My man. Peace. Peace. If you're interested in a deeper dive into the subject, you can go to see our website, www.doingthenowledge.com. You can hit us up on Twitter at Doing Knowledge or look out what we're doing on Instagram, Doing Knowledge Again. Um, that's the lines. That's the logic and the science for the day. We out. Peace. Peace.